Coming up on a Monday edition of NSN Daily, state champions will be crowned this week in several spring sports, including baseball and softball. We'll tell you who's going to represent Northern Nevada. Plus, one of the fastest growing sports in the world comes to Sin City later this year. We'll talk with the organizers of the upcoming Las Vegas Grand Prix Formula One race. And a former Nevada basketball star, Caleb Martin, readies for the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. Those stories and more right now on NSN Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome into our champion Chevrolet NSN studio. He is Chris Murray. I'm Alex Margulies. Welcome to NSN Daily. Uh, Chris, back from uh, San Diego. We were at the Mountain West Conference Tournament uh, with Nevada Softball. And what a beautiful... I got back this morning, and it was just perfect <laughs> uh, May weather here in northern Nevada. I'll tell you this much. I, I know people like to say that San Diego's got great weather. This time of year, not. Oh, really? It's very cloudy. They call it May gray. Oh, okay. So I got to tell you, I will put... Northern Nevada weather in May up against just about anybody. I mean, okay. when it's 80 degrees and sunny, yeah, it's, we're, it's pretty prime. We have been dialed in the last couple of days. You go back to the beginning of last week, not so much. But it seems like we've hit a nice stretch are here. We, are we finally in that yeah, stride? Yeah, we're finally in that stretch. And, you know, I, you were down there in San Diego covering that tournament. I know we're going to talk about it later on in the show. But um, just some classic games. Nevada didn't quite get over the hump against yep. some of the better teams in the Mountain West. But certainly... The effort was there, and it seems like they've taken on the personality of their coach. It's kind of like a yeah. bulldog personality of Linda Garza. So those are some really, really strong games. I love the return of the tournament, too. I think the atmosphere was fun. The competition leading up to it and in the tournament uh, was great. So, again, we'll get kind of a deep dive on that. And uh, you got a chance to get the, the first round of golf in for the se season, which was pretty sweet. They went over to Lake Ridge, a client tournament last Friday, and uh, that course is actually looking super nice as well. You never know when it's such a strong winter. Will it really kill How the, the grass? Or, yeah, will the extra water really help the course? I don't know if all the courses are in that good of a shape, but it was uh, fun to get out there and, and hit the ball a few times. All right. Uh, got a lot to talk about. We tease a little bit for you. A reminder, uh, for those of you watching this show, uh, you may have uh, heard about this, but we're no longer on the radio right now. Uh, so if you're somebody that likes to listen uh, to our show, well, we've got a great solution. You can download the NSN Daily podcast, wherever podcasts uh, are available. It's this exact show, just an audio form. So if you want to put it on the car, drive around, if you want to listen to it uh, on your way to and from work, uh, great avenue uh, for that. All right, so let's get into this. So we talked about uh, states coming up later this week. We had some great uh, finishes in the regionals last week in a full rundown of that. We'll kick it over to Mike Stephenson. On the high school diamond, regional champs were crowned Saturday, and in the 5A, the Douglas Tigers finished a dominant run through the region, beating Reed 16-3 to claim the hardware for a second straight season. The Tigers actually trailed 3-0 before rattling off 16 straight scores and finishing the game with some sweet glove work with that slick double play. Pretty fitting for a squad that could not be touched all season up north. We just really play as, like good as a team, and we have good senior leadership, and they kind of like brought us all together. We all really like play for each other and like respect each other and want to win a lot. And we're all really competitive. We deserve it 100%. We work our butts off at practice 100% all the time. I think the score explains us. We knew we had a target on our back, but you know every day you gotta you gotta show up and play well, and they have nobody let you off on an easy day. So their resilience has been has been phenomenal to watch. 
The story even better in the 3A, with North Valley's needing to beat Lowry twice on championship Saturday and doing so. This after the Buckaroos handed the Panthers their only two losses of the entire year. North Valley's getting over the hump at the right time, cruising to a pair of wins, 15-8 and 10-2, winning the program's first ever regional title. This after losing in the same if necessary contest one year ago. I've known them all my life. I've played with them all, all my life. Throughout high school and travel ball. It's pretty big, it's amazing, it's a nice feeling. They've been absolutely amazing. I grew up with almost all of them since I started softball. Like the other senior, Kelsey, we've been friends since we were like eight. So it just feels nice to have a group of girls that all get along and everything. We found our bats and the girls started hitting and executing and it's, it was a blast. It was a lot of fun. And I didn't want to give it away when we were close, but my heart was racing. What a win for the Panthers, a proud NVHS alum right here on the microphone. In case you missed it, there was a baseball, baseball title won on Friday with Bishop and Oaks guys getting it done against Damani Ranch. It was a nail-biter, 2-0. The Miners taking the tournament crown after losing twice to the Mustangs in the regular season. But Minogue putting it all together when it mattered most. You want to win that regional championship. You know, we've been in the state. It's our fifth time in a row, but only our second uh, regional championship in that span. It, you know, it was important to the kids to win the league title and then to, to add the regional championship to that. So it, it's a big deal. We had a lot of tension, you know, coming into the final game, but I mean, we pulled away with it. All the guys did their part. Defense was amazing. Offense, you know, we were a little late on it, but we picked up. These seniors have been, you know, waiting four or five years in this program. So, I mean, it's, it's a great feeling. How about the guys with their matching bleached hair? Of course, all regional final teams advance to their respective state tournaments, which begin Thursday across Nevada. You can see brackets at NevadaSportsNet.com. All right, thanks to Mike for that. Uh, both of your alma maters, Chris, uh, going to states. Uh, Douglas yeah. uh, for you and Mike, uh, North Valleys. I'm sure you guys are both proud of uh, the ladies, let's start there with softball, uh, and and you feel like Douglas has a pretty decent shot at taking home a state crown. Yeah, I think no matter who came out of the South bracket, Douglas was going to have a really good chance because this is the top-ranked team in the entire state. But the fact that the Southern's best two teams, Green Valley, who won the state championship over Douglas last year, and Shadow Ridge, neither of them actually made it to the Southern Regional mm. Final. So both of them did not make it to state. So you have Palo Verde uh, going against Douglas in the first round. Palo Verde only 18 and 10, and then Centennial going against Reed. 24 and 10. I would not be shocked if you see an all North uh, championship, but Douglas is the best team in the state. Now, can they go and seal the deal and win a state championship? That's another story, but they've been phenomenal of late. They've won 21 straight games during that period. They've outscored their opponents 250 to 27. And then during the Northern 5A championship, they went 4-0, won their games by a score of 41-3. So Douglas seems like they're on track to win the state championship, but certainly anything can happen when you get into uh, a double elimination bracket. All right, so the state will take place this Thursday at Hickson Park here in Northern Nevada. And the other side will be the Reed Raiders taking on Centennial. Uh, double elimination formats there. Uh, so it'll be exciting uh, to have this here uh, in Northern Nevada. Also, baseball will be held uh, this week here in the north over at Don Weir Fields. And as we saw there, uh, Bishop Anoga, the uh, champs in the north this year, is a very competitive uh, season between them and Reno and, and Damani Ranch. And uh, actually, one of the biggest surprises, no, the Reno Huskies not in this yeah. uh, state tournament. Instead, it's going to be Bishop Anoga and Damani Ranch. Let's start with the Miners, uh, who obviously had a, just an incredible season 
both teams will be challenged. Look at Desert Oasis as they open play on Thursday. Yeah, Desert Oasis, they lost to Reno in the regular season. They beat the uh, Carson, so one and one against the Northern schools. I think Bishop Minogue actually has a very solid chance of getting all the way to the championship game. They would have to go through Gorman, and that's going to be difficult. Gorman, number seven in the country, 32-2. and two. You see all the bleach blonde <laughs> hair right there. And it certainly worked because, like you said, it was very competitive in the regular season. But when it got to the playoff time, Minogue won their four uh, games 37-1. to one. So not competitive. So they are playing their best baseball right now, and they do have some super talented players. The coaches, all league on Rees came out today. Sam Kane was the player of the year out of Bishop uh, Minogue. Uh, Takio Cervantes was the pitcher of the year. And then Joey Scaleri, the defensive player of the year. So some really good next-level talent on this team. And, and we'll see if they can go out and win a state championship. Got to love the, the team camaraderie there with uh, <laughs> all that bleached blonde hair. I'm not sure if I've ever seen that from a team. You see, I guess at the high school level, there's no playoff beards. Uh, so I guess that's maybe either you got to shave your head yeah. or, or you bleach the hair. I don't think I've ever seen a team bleach their hair before. Well, this shows you that they're tightly bonded. Uh, yeah. Maybe well, maybe we'll do like we'll bleach our beards or something like that, you know. As, in, as I mean, I don't have a lot of hair, but if if Minogue wins a state championship, I'll bleach what, what little I have. Really, I'll probably you, burn you, the scalp, bleach the stubble. Uh, I guess a uh, blonde beard. <laughs> yeah, we can do a blonde beard. All right. Uh, also, uh, in the baseball side of things, Damani Rand's going to take on Bishop Gorman. Obviously, everyone knows uh, how good they are, uh, especially in football. What's Gorman like in baseball right now? Yeah, I mean, they're very, very good. I mean, they didn't win the state championship last year. They were probably the favorite going in. They ended up, uh, you know, having uh, some struggles in that tournament. They actually eliminated Reno, made it to the championship, uh, but uh, ended up losing. But 32-2 and for Bishop Gorman and a top-10 team in the country. So certainly they're the favorite heading into this tournament. We'll see if somebody can upset them. I think Damani Ranch just getting to the state tournament. If you would have told them at the beginning of the year, they would uh, be able to do that. They would have been very happy. So they've had a phenomenal season, and they'll go over to Pocoli Park and, and see how they match up against one of the best teams in the country. Well, the good thing for uh, Minogue, they've got, you know, a very strong pitcher out there. I mean, talking about Dylan Rogers. I mean, when you got – maybe the, the best pitcher in northern Nevada. You yeah. have to feel confident going out there when you've got him on the bump. Yeah, I mean, Dylan Rogers is going to have a, a great time going against Gorman. I think this is great talent against a great team. And, and certainly, uh, Damani Ranch has some other talented players around him, but that is a good point that, you know, if you're going to string an upset, a lot mm -hmm. of times you need a great pitching performance. Yeah. And with Dylan Rogers, who's heading to UNLV after this season on the mound, that is a very good shot that he could at least try and keep those bats at bay and give his team a chance in the late inning. All right, uh, more to come later this week. We'll have lots of coverage on NSN Daily as we talk uh, about uh, the upcoming state softball and baseball tournaments. Again, baseball Thursday starting at Don Weir Field and then Hickson Park uh, for softball as well Thursday. Both tournaments will conclude on Saturday. Coming up next, uh, we're going to talk about the upcoming Las Vegas Grand Prix. The Formula One is coming to Southern Nevada, and this is going to be an incredible experience the COO of the event stops in as we head down to the Legends Bay Casino Lounge, powered by Circus Sports. Welcome back to NSN Daily. We're sitting here in the Legends Bay Casino Lounge, powered by Circus Sports. I'm Chris Murray, and we're joined with Emily Prazer, the Chief uh, Commercial Officer of the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So that's a huge race that's coming down here to Southern Nevada. You've now lived in Las Vegas for about a year, uh, and we're going to get into that, but you're actually in town 
for the sports management program at the University of Nevada, Reno. You're part of the executive board. And you guys are holding your spring summit in Incline later today. That'll be your first trip up to Lake Tahoe. Are you looking it forward will. to that? I can't wait. I think I've been trying to describe it to everyone. that I, It's like a place of dreams that everybody keeps telling me I need to go to. So I'm very fortunate to be able to go there today. So if you cannot tell, she's actually from the United Kingdom I originally. Am. And we'll get into kind of her backstory and how you got into F1. But first of all, how did you get involved with the UNR Sports Management Program? I know it's been a couple of years up and running. Kerry Groth, the former athletic director at Nevada, overseeing it. And now you are part of the executive board. Yeah, so we obviously announced the race last March on the top of the Cosmo pool deck in Las Vegas. And following the, I think, global phenomenon of that announcement, we got approached by leadership and obviously it was a no-brainer from our point of view to get involved in the in the program. And then what uh, do you kind of learn in the program? I know a lot of people like yourself kind of pitch in and kind of give these students these aspiring sports management professionals just kind of a, an inside look and in what actually goes yeah. in to I, running something like an F1 race. I mean, from our point of view, we actually have a really young team based in Las Vegas running the Grand Prix. And I think being able to you know, influence people's decisions around how they want to get into sports, sports management, showing how broad it can be from sales and marketing and operations and legal you know we're we're very fortunate we're ultimately a startup business um, being backed by liberty media and formula one obviously which we're very proud of um, but we want to be able to describe this to people very early on in their in their journey and then you know the fact is we have probably the biggest sporting event globally in the world coming to nevada nevada yeah um, <laughs> And so I want to make sure that people get the opportunity to come and participate in that so that we can show them around and, and make sure that they understand what goes into producing such a big event. Yeah, so you can go and get an executive certificate. A lot of that's online. You could also get a minor uh, as an undergraduate student. So there's a couple of different avenues, but just getting access to people like yourself is obviously huge. And let's learn a little bit about your background. As we said, you grew up in the UK, so you went to the University of Birmingham. That's not in Alabama. That's somewhere over there. It, middle of England. <laughs> middle of England. So I guess, how did you get into you know sports management was that kind of a dream growing up yeah I mean I was I was a sports nut growing up so you know f sports in the UK is part of your, your your blood it's what what we all do on the weekends um, it's a very family orientated uh, spending time with mum and dad at the weekends watching your favorite Premier League football team or watching your sister or brother participate in sports so I was always very much into it and went to university went to University of Birmingham and studied sports and physical education um, I've explained this a couple of times today, but university in the UK is slightly different with how you, you major versus having different, um, different projects. So it was very, very much focused, but a module within that was the business of sport. And I just fell in love with the opportunity. I'm also a massive event person. So we'd go to the opening of an envelope. Used to love every concert that took place being part of, I lived four underground train stops from Wembley Stadium, mm. which is the biggest soccer stadium in the United Kingdom where the national team played. So. I always knew that sport was something I wanted to get into and then I'm at university and all of these opportunities came up and I was very, very fortunate that I got the opportunity once I graduated to join IMG, which was the best training ground in the world, I think, for anybody looking to get into sport. Um, and went from strength to strength from there, to be honest. Okay, I'm going to ask you about the best concerts you've ever seen in person. But before we get there, let's talk about Formula One coming to Las Vegas. Sure. So you've worked for F1 for six years. You recently made the move over to Las Vegas to help run this huge event, which is coming up in November. So why was Las Vegas a perfect fit for putting an F1 race? Well, when Liberty bought Formula One back in 2017, they were quite bold and said, you know, came out and said the U.S. is one of the two core strategic markets for growth, the other being, being Asia. Um, we obviously did the relationship and signed the agreement in Miami and Vegas was always where we wanted to be. 
And so, you know, the pandemic presented an opportunity for us just to take a step back and consider the best approach. Um, started, you know, putting feelers out there. How do we do this? Who do we need to speak to? And obviously it just became a real focus for all of us. Yeah, so this is happening November 16th through the 18th, right down the Strip. So I know yes. a lot of people from Reno has been uh, to Las Vegas. They are very familiar with the Strip. They've probably never seen an F1 car race down it, but kind of put us in a game day, race day experience if you go to an F1 race. I mean, it's the scale of a Formula One event is like nothing that people really understand. The, 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 the technology and the speed of the cars is obviously the core focus, but we have premium hospitality all around. We have grandstand tickets, the best entertainment in the world. Um, and in Vegas, what we're looking to do is basically bring that to life. Formula One is a media company at its heart. We produce the international feed, so we actually point the cameras where we want them to go. And so everybody that's there will see the best of Las Vegas, the best of the state, and we're going to make sure that we elevate it as much as we possibly can. But I think it's, like I keep saying, it's the scale, but the sensory overload you're going to get when you hear those cars and see those cars racing down Las Vegas Boulevard is going to be something none of us have ever experienced. Yeah, more than 100,000 people expected each day out there. A $1.2 billion economic revenue increaser is the projection. That's more than twice as much as the Super Bowl, which is coming February 2024 to Allegiant Stadium. So um, how has this sport grown so quickly? Uh, I know, obviously, the Netflix uh, you know, show has <laughs> yeah. certainly pumped a lot of enthusiasm here in the American market, but why do you think this, this sport is catching on so strongly here in the United I States? I think, honestly, it's the personalities associated with the sport as well. Again, I, I refer to the kind of liberty takeover, but prior to that, um, we weren't allowed, the drivers weren't allowed to have social media platforms. There was no social media channel. There was no way for people to engage between like the sport and the drivers and what we're doing in different countries. So I think that's massively helped. And just the way that people are consuming Formula One content is a lot different. Um, I think the US has caught on significantly, but that's because we've made such an effort to engage with the US fan as well. And we're learning, you know, don't forget, like Austin have been here for nearly 14 years. Mm -hmm. So they've set a, a benchmark and we've obviously kept growing that with the promoter in Austin. Um, we've then taken the learnings and gone to Miami and then you're obviously in Vegas. I think three races, kind of East Coast, West Coast and s almost Central, gives us the opportunity to tap into lots of different fans. Um, and it's about bringing it to life ultimately. And I think the Netflix effect has been phenomenal and we are eternally grateful for being the first sport that really embraced that. Um, I know that the team at Netflix had tried to do it with a lot of different sports and the fact that we don't have editing rights has been, yeah. been a contentious subject, <laughs> but you know, it's, it's opened the world for us. So yeah. we're, we're really grateful, but I think it's just the legacy that we're building in each of these places we come and the commitment we've shown, particularly to Las Vegas and, and the state. Um, again, we've purchased pieces of land for north of $240 million, which has been very well discussed. Um, and it means that we want to be here long term. We want to create a community and create impact in what we're doing. And that's where we're just a little bit different to other sports. What's the biggest challenge you guys have kind of faced as you try <laughs> and put this race on? Yeah, I mean, yeah. because like you said, you've been in Austin for a long time. Miami just held their second. So I'm sure that one yeah. went a lot smoother than the first. But just kind of building this from scratch has to be very difficult. Yeah, again, it's, it's the logistics of closing down Las Vegas has been incredibly challenging. We're incredibly grateful for our partners, um, particularly the founding partners being MGM, Wynn, Caesars and obviously the LBCVA have been f unbelievable to work with. Um, I think there's a little bit of short-term headache of repaving the streets <laughs> and what have you, but the fact that you'll be able to drive down the roads, which will be quality, good enough quality for Formula One cars, is, is something that we, we actually take a lot of pride in. 
Um, so I think, yeah, logistics for sure is going to be the hardest part. Oh, why was it the United States and Asia in particular that was kind of spotlighted in areas that this Opportunity could, yeah. for growth of the fan base, to be honest. We've got 10 races in Europe, so that's pretty much maxed out. You look at the scale of both of those markets and just think about where you're going to penetrate the new fan and, you know, bring a new dimension to what we're trying to deliver. And US sports do it the best. You know, we've spent a lot of time seeing how the Raiders do it, seeing how the Golden Knights came to Vegas. And we're, we're very grateful that they've again set this benchmark of unbelievable fan engagement and following. And we hope to be able to, you know, replicate that year on year. So when the race gets here in November, I guess, what are you expecting to see when you get out there and just that, that atmosphere down there in Vegas? I with think, all the neon? again, the only way to describe it is going to be this sensory overload of lights, cars, action, entertainment, food and drink. We're going to completely own where we are and what we're doing and you know people keep repeating it but it truly is the perfect marriage and we want to make sure that people understand it um, and keep coming back year on year and having different experiences. Is there a, a race on the circuit that's similar to Vegas or do you feel like this is kind of just going to be a, a I, completely different thing? No I definitely like think Vegas. Singapore has has again set us a bit accountable and to a standard. They have a night race and their food and drink offering and the entertainment piece. They were the first to bring music into F1 so They've done a phenomenal job of, of, again, setting that kind of benchmark. But I do believe that because of where we are, the partners we have, the brands that are coming into this race, it's going to be like nothing anyone's ever seen. OK, let's end on that concert uh, topic. So your top three concerts you've <laughs> ever been through. That's a tough question. I'm going to go with the, the problem with this is British brands, bands uh, yeah. versus US bands. Have you heard of a band called Take That? Uh, I have no, not. Robbie actually. Williams? No. no. OK. Robbie Williams? You know, Robbie, oh, I know yeah, Robbie, Robbie Williams. Robbie Williams. Of course. That, that was like the first ever. Um, Justin Timberlake was unbelievable. Oh, we, we um, know Timberlake well. We he comes Timberlake up here well. to, to Tahoe for the Celebrity Golf Tournament every yeah, year. Yeah, I've seen that actually. Yes. Yeah. Um, third, probably seeing Adele at Caesars Palace was pretty special. OK. No, no Taylor Swift in there yet? Not for me, no. Not for you, wow. Wow. Uh, well, thank you so much for no, coming thank in. Thank you for having us. Uh, Emily Prazer from the Las Vegas Grand Prix, and uh, have fun uh, your first trip up to Tahoe today. Thank you for having us. All right, we'll be right back on NSN Daily after this break. All right, welcome back here to NSN Daily from our Champion Chevrolet studio. We've got a rundown of a bunch of Nevada-related topics. We'll start first with softball, and as we talked about at the outset of the show that the Wolfpack softball team wrapped up their season at the Mountain West Conference Tournament in San Diego. For a full recap of how things ended up for them, we sent it to Shannon Kelly. It was a battle between Nevada and Boise State on Friday afternoon. Both teams fighting to keep their season alive in an elimination game in the first Mountain West Conference Tournament since 2006. The pack wasn't giving the Mountain West regular season champions anything easy as this one would go to extra innings to decide who would move on. Blake Kraft was back in the circle on Friday, helping set the tone early once again with a few strikeouts. Top of the third, Nevada's bats would get things rolling. Charlie Hawkins pulls this one to right and brings home Chelly Sanini. She cruises in to get Nevada on the board first. Bottom five, Kraft throwing a no-hitter until the Broncos would string a few hits together and tie things up at two apiece. Top seven, Hawkins comes through once again for the pack. That one just gets through the infield as Sanini scores the go-ahead run. But the Broncos weren't going away quietly. Bottom seven, two outs with two strikes. Boise State launches a bomb over the right field wall to tie things up at three. And the Broncos would keep the momentum rolling in extras. 
A single up the middle would bring home the game-winning run as the pack fall in a heartbreaker 4-3, ending their run in the Mountain West Tournament. In order to win at the next level, in order to win a championship, you got to taste it. And for the first time, they now have tasted how close they really are. Um, to be one pitch, to be one hit away, uh, it allows you to go over a summer and know why you do the work and how and why we change things in the fall and why we have to be a little more competitive and put ourselves in situations where we learn how to make that one play and how to make that one pitch or how to get that one hit. So Nevada ends their season 31 and 19 overall under second year head coach Linda Garza. A complete turnaround this season as the program had just 17 wins last year and a lot to look forward to next season as this group will return almost their entire roster next year. Reporting in San Diego for our on the road coverage presented by Bradley Drendel and Janae. I'm Shannon Kelly. All right, thanks very much to Shannon for that, uh, Chris. I mean, we knew that this tournament was going to be super competitive, and it was. There were so many games that would come down to one pitch, mm -hmm. yeah. to one at-bat, and that was the case for Nevada. Uh, after advancing uh, in the opening round, they were able to, to knock off Colorado State, in which was an incredible performance, 11-0 shutout. They did it in five innings. Uh, Leah Jenkins was incredible. Played Kraft through a complete game shutout. Then they came back against San Diego State, who eventually won uh, the tournament this weekend in their home ballpark. In that game, margin was super thin. It was came down, you know, one at bat, one pitch to side of the game. And then, as Shannon explained there against Boise State, Nevada had the lead early. They had a lead going into the final pitch. Two outs, two strikes. They were one pitch away from keeping their season alive. But a heroic swing of the bat uh, from the Broncos tied the game. They eventually won it in extra innings. But it, it just goes to show, I mean, that's how sports is, maybe yeah. in particular baseball, softball. One pitch, one swing of the bat can decide things, um, and Nevada comes up just short. Yeah, I think where you look at where Nevada was entering the season, where they are when they exit the season, they made a lot of gains, right? Yeah, Huge. you want to get to the NCAA tournament. Yep. Yeah, you want to get over the hump in those games, in the game against San Diego State, which I think was the game of the tournament, because if you win that one, mm -hmm. you're in such a better position Driver's than going seat. into the loser's bracket and having to basically win four straight games. But Nevada has the bases loaded, down one run with one out. They get a strikeout, and then they get a ground out, and they're not able to get over the hump. Mm -hmm. And that put the Aztecs in a really good position moving forward. But this was a program we know Linda Garza can build program. She's done it at so many stops before. Last year was that rebuilding season. How big of a step were they going to tape this year? Yeah, 10 and 12 in conference, number six seed entering, but they were as good as the top teams in this league, and they just were not able to get the key hit or the key out uh, last week. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's a very small margin, and they are very close to breaking through. And given the fact that only one player on this entire roster is out of eligibility, Nevada should be, if not the favorite, certainly in the top two heading into next season. And it seems like the program's on the right trajectory to going and getting a championship at some point. Yeah, I mean, this to me was such a great building block season, going from 17 wins to 31. Huge jump you could see uh, up and down the lineup. You know, there's freshmen out there in tough spots. I mean, and Nevada had so many competitive at-bats. They were super competitive in the circle. And the experience they bring back, if they can keep things together, and that's, you know, not always a certain thing uh, in this day and age in college sports, but if they can keep this nucleus together with Jenkins and with Sanini and, and with Kraft on the mound and Brown and, and all the different, uh, you know, Tyra Clary, who took a huge uh, jump this year, in the circle. This is a team, as you mentioned, I think that uh, maybe this is that building block year, kind of as Coach Garbers has said, leaves that taste in the mouth of feeling like, you know what, we knew we were good enough. We were right there. We were good yeah. enough to win the conference this year. Now all of those players come back with another year under their belt. And, 
now having experience in a tournament setting, which nobody on that roster had experienced until last week. Yeah, and I mean, it's going to be a much more normal offseason. They didn't get to practice at all on their field because they were putting the new turf down, and obviously the winter made things very difficult. They were basically playing inside and practicing inside for all of non-conference play, and I think they're going to have an upgraded non-conference schedule. You look at who Nevada played in non-conference, they were pretty lower echelon teams, and it probably makes sense to do that as you're trying to build up their confidence heading into the season. I think maybe if they were a little bit more battle-tested in tournament settings back in non-conference, maybe they come out with a couple of wins there, but I think Linda Garza can now really challenge her team because she knows she has a really good roster coming back. And I think before all is said and done, she is going to win a championship for Nevada softball. Didn't come this year, but would not be surprised if it comes next. All right, let's switch gears. Uh, Nevada baseball, Chris playing down in, in New Mexico and Albuquerque uh, lost that series to the Lobos. Uh, Nevada still sitting towards the bottom of the Mountain West Conference with them and UNLV. Those are the two teams kind of on the outside uh, of the top four uh, in the Mountain West Conference for, in terms of getting into the postseason. Nevada really needed to go to New Mexico and get a sweep to, yeah. to keep them themselves alive. Uh, so it, it's kind of, uh, a, you know, ex I don't want to say an expected result, but this is kind of more or less what the team has dealt with this year is they have some success, but they have a hard time getting those series wins. Yeah, for the first time, they're not going to make the Mountain West Baseball Tournament, but I think it's a lot like Linda Garza's first season. Yep. I mean, you look at the roster that Jake McKinley took over, and it was really dilapidated, and yes, you would love to be great in year one right out of the gates and not have to have that rebuilding season. But we saw it with the football program this year. We saw it with softball last year. This is kind of what the expected outcome was going to mm -hmm. be. They're currently tied for last in the Mountain West with uh, UNLV, as you said, 10 and 17. This is a big series, though, for San Jose State. They're only a half game behind Air Force for first in the Mountain West. So Nevada can kind of play spoiler against San Jose State. I don't know how much of an incentive that is, but I think the hope is, is that you know, you've kind of figured out, okay, who are some of our key pieces moving forward into 2024? What do we need to add to kind of complement that core? And where do we need to get better to take the kind of step forward that Nevada softball did this season? And, um, you know, it's not easy going through a losing season like Nevada has really since the halfway point of the year on. There were a lot of struggles. The first half wasn't that bad, but they just need more pitching depth. Um, they need more depth in their position player group. And, and you know, Jake McKinley's going to go to work to get that done as soon as this season ends over this weekend. All right. It's also the Mountain West Track and Field Championships uh, this past weekend, Chris, and Nevada finishing in sixth place. Yeah, six out of 11 teams, one spot ahead of UNLV, so a couple of Silver State Series points. Uh, they did have six uh, athletes finish on the podium, Emily Costello, the only individual to win a gold medal. She did so in the 200 meters, also finished second in the 400 meters. Cameron Dulcini uh, of the pole vault uh, group finished second, so she brought home a silver medal as well, 19 personal best for Nevada track and field. So this ends their season as a team, but you will see some move on to the preliminary round to try and get the NCAAs. And uh, Emily Costello is going to be the one who's highest rated nationally. There she was, number four. Um, she, she had a, a great track and field, uh, really, career, and this is her senior season. And we'll see if she can make it to nationals and maybe go out there and try and compete for Nevada on the biggest stage. Also, Chris, uh, some interesting uh, stories out of the portal. Uh, last week we reported uh, Jojo, uh, Jojo Claiborne was going to transfer uh, from Nevada down to UNLV and, and he kind of alluded when he put out the message uh, about the potential of being kind of viewed as a villain in this situation. Of course, when you go from one side to the other in this rivalry, it's going to be hard for fans not to see that, I think, at the outset. But he kind of teased that maybe that there was a little bit more to the story uh, and there was a, uh, an article this morning out of the Las Vegas 
uh, Sun going into the reasoning as to why JoJo decided to transfer to UNLV, and it was not purely football reasons. And I think once you learn more to this story, I think even if you're a Nevada fan, you're okay with JoJo Claiborne going back and playing for the Rebels. Yeah, his mom battling cancer. That's something that she was battling previously when he was playing for Nevada. It had uh, recessed and unfortunately came back. So to be able to go and finish his degree in cybersecurity, something he's very passionate about, at home and be close to his mom, who will be able to see some of his games. And hopefully she's able um, to beat this cancer again and get a clean bill of health. But it makes a lot of sense why he would want to be close to home just because of you know the fact that his mom is, is going through those health situations. All right, so JoJo Claiborne no longer of <laughs> no longer villain's uh, status when it comes to going to the other side uh, of the rival. We certainly wish the best uh, for his entire family. Uh, and finally, uh, some news when it comes to basketball. This was an interesting one to watch. Warren Washington, who started his career at Oregon State, then came to Nevada and, of course, blossomed here with Coach Alford and company, then went to Arizona State, where we saw him beat Nevada and, and of course, beat the Wolfpack handedly uh, out in Dayton in that first four game. Well, he is now circling and continuing his uh, college career. And interesting landing spot. He's going out to Texas Tech. We'll whole link up with uh, now former Nevada forward Darian Williams. Yeah, they never played together. No overlap at Nevada, but uh, Warren Washington is fourth school in what will be a sixth college season. Texas Tech has a first-year head coach, and uh, I think they have a lot of NIL money, which I think makes an impact, but uh, he'll probably be able to play maybe a little bit larger offensive role with that team. Not much of an overlap position-wise with Darian Williams as well. Darian Williams more of an undersized power forward, so it'll be interesting to see how those two pair together and how they do in the Big 12, which was last year the best conference in college basketball, so certainly an upgrade in talent level, and uh, hopefully this is this is going to be Warren's final mm -hmm. stop. Hopefully he gets what he's looking for with all of the changes he's made throughout his career. All right, coming up next, a lot of action this weekend. On the pro side of things, the Warriors bounced by the Lakers. The Golden Knights are advancing past the Oilers. And a Nevada alum going to play in the Eastern Conference Finals in the NBA. We'll go through those stories next. All right, Chris, it was an exciting series, uh, built up at least, and, and you know, it was competitive in the fact that it went to six games. Most of those games were a blowout. Uh, a lot of fans were excited to see the, the matchup of the Golden State Warriors and the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, you kind of pegged that this series was going to come down to Anthony Davis, and he certainly stepped up uh, for the Lakers. And L.A., really uh, a, a surprise team, I think, to come out of the West right now and get themselves the Western Conference Finals. Uh, they, of course, had a miserable start uh, to the year in the regular season, uh, but with a cast of supporting characters with LeBron James, uh, they're able to knock off uh, Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and the first time Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Warriors, loses a Western Conference series. That's how dominant this team's been over the last seven, eight years. And when you look at the Lakers, it really was in shambles with Russell Westbrook being the third star, and they basically cashed him in for three or four really good role players around LeBron and AD, and that's all you really need. If you go back to the year they won the championship, if you can just get some guys who can hit some threes and will play really hard on defense, that's a championship team because LeBron and AD are such good players. Uh, and, you know, you look at the Warriors side of things, I think Steph Curry showed up in game six, but nobody else really came in and helped him. Klay Thompson, toward the back end of his career, he had a really, really rough shooting night. He is obviously a, a huge champion, a huge part of their four titles, but, um, you know, the Lakers, 
if they could have gotten healthy and had their role players in place, I think everybody knew they would be dangerous. And it seems like it's gelling and coalescing at the right time. Now they go and play the Nuggets, which was the best team in the Western Conference from start to finish. All right. On the other side in the Eastern Conference Finals, the Miami Heat, the surprise team out of the East. They were a play-in team. They were the eight seed uh, going into this thing. And they knock off uh, the uh, Sixers. And excuse me, not the Sixers. Knicks. Uh, the Knicks, excuse yes. me, getting crossed up. Uh, and Caleb Martin continuing to play well for the Heat, Chris. And I think he's going to have to have a really big series if they're going to knock off the Celtics. They took down the Sixers. The Celtics are so up and down. I think if the Celtics play at their ceiling, they're going to win this series in five games. I think they have a much higher ceiling, but they don't always play to it. So Jimmy Butler's going to need some help. One of those big pieces is Caleb Martin. I think these teams super familiar with each other. They played in the 2020 Eastern Conference Finals. They played in last year's Eastern Conference Finals, splitting those two. So this is kind of the rubber match. And, you know, Caleb might not be in the starting rotation, but he's going to get 25, 30 minutes per game. He's going to have to hit his threes. He's going to be tasked with trying to slow down Jason Tatum at times and Jalen Brown. Um, so he's going to be a big part of what they're doing in this series, a bigger part than what he played last year when it was more five to 10 minutes when they got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Here's some sound from the former Wolfpack star, Caleb Martin, on going to the Eastern Conference Finals. You're going to the Eastern Conference Finals now. How do you explain that, and what does that mean? I mean, like I said, we just had to get here. Uh, we, we, knew what type of, uh, we knew what type of group of guys that we had, and obviously anytime we got Jimmy on our team and Bam and those guys, we, we always feel like we got a good chance to go, to, to go as far as anybody. So uh, I think we're in good shape. I know you give the others credit, but a player like yourself had a huge series of big moments. What did it mean to you in these big spots when your team needed you to perform the way you did throughout the series? Man, that means everything. This is the type of stage that you, you that you live to play on. So just coming from where I came from last year to this point, it's crazy, the, the, the growth. And uh, I'm proud of myself, but I, I, I got to keep going. I got to take it to the next level. Final question is, I'm not even going to hit you up about you know who you're playing because it's Philly or Boston, we know that. But what it's going to take and how important is it to have this four-day break before you face whether it is Boston or Philadelphia? Man, it's going to be a dogfight. We're going to need every day we can get. And, uh, you know, every day that we get, we're going to prepare and, and just be ready for the next. All right. So congrats to Caleb. And, uh, you know, I, I know you think the Celtics are going to take it, but the Heat have been counted out this entire way, and, and we'll see what happens. But clearly on paper, Boston uh, is, is, is clearly the superior team, but we'll see what happens. Uh, on the NHL uh, side of things, Chris, the Vegas Golden Knights knocking off the Oilers. That was a challenging series for them. The Oilers, the top offensive team, and, and the Golden Knights going to the finals. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great franchise from start to, to where they are now. I mean, they've been one of the best teams in the NHL year in and year out, and certainly they haven't quite won the Stanley Cup yet. That was a big challenge. It was going to test a very strong defense. And really, you look at the Knights, they were able to match them goal for goal. I mean, I think their offense played super, super well in this series, and uh, they're going to need that as they move on. We don't know who they're playing yet. It's either Minnesota or Seattle. Seattle would be a cool story, second year as an expansion team, and they could be in a conference finals, um, which would be, you know, <laughs> very quick turnaround. We saw the Knights get all the way to the exactly. Stanley Cup final in their first year. It took Seattle maybe two years, but, uh, you know, they're really rallying the fan base there in Seattle. All right. So coming up next, speaking of Las Vegas, uh, the A's – Moving closer and closer to relocating to Las Vegas. Thing is just about a done deal, at least for a stadium. Uh, there are some caveats. We'll go through some of those. And the Reno Aces are back in town this week. A preview of that when we come back to NSN Daily. All right, Chris, it's been long talked about. The idea of the Oakland A's going to Las Vegas has been rumored for years. 
Uh, there was an initial site when this thing came out mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, kind of closer to Allegiant Stadium. Now uh, the A's and Bally's have a, an agreement at the Tropicana site. They're going to raise the Tropicana and put a ballpark there. Uh, there is still some hurdles when it comes to getting some funding from the state, but by and large, this looks like something that's going to happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's $395 million from the legislature, and that wraps up here in a couple of weeks. So I think if that gets finalized and pushed through, it will happen. The original estimate was $500 million, so it's a little bit less of an ask. That's still a good chunk of money, about a $1.2 billion project when all is said and done. They'd get about nine acres to put the ballpark, uh, 30 thousand seat capacity so I think the location is actually much better because of the proximity to the strip easier to get there without having to park and now we'll see if the state legislatures are willing to give up this kind of money to move the A's from Oakland to Las Vegas you think the legislature will do it mm, it doesn't see it 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 probably will happen but I don't think there's been as much traction as you would hope mm -hmm. because it doesn't seem like they've given them a proposal to even go over yet. Right. So I think it's going a little bit slower, and there is a firm deadline now. They could always do a special session, sure. but they probably don't want to have to do that. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. As we've seen with ballpark stuff over the years, it's not done until uh, that ballpark gets starting to be built. Yeah. You know, and this there's is a, a lot of things that have fallen apart. It's a lower percentage of, of state money than uh, some of the previous deal. ones. Yeah. So you're talking about 400 out of 1.2, so you know that's about... 33%, which when you look at the Raiders deal was you know, above 50. Wow. So I think it's a little bit more palatable from that perspective. All right. So also uh, in baseball, the Aces back in town this week. They'll take on Sacramento starting uh, tomorrow afternoon. They'll play through Sunday, a six-game series. You can check out a bunch of those games right here on Nevada Sports Nets, and uh, there's a list of the games. Yeah, they went 5-2 and two at Tacoma. They were in second place at the PCL. Uh, the Aces, obviously, first place. Now Sacramento's in second place, three games behind Reno, so they took care of business on the road. We'll see if they can do the so uh, same at home. All right, uh, we're going to wrap up the show, Chris. We're going to talk about an interesting story going all the way out to Mount Everest. A Sherpa has tied a record when it comes to Everest. We're going to give you the details on that to wrap up our Monday NSN Daily. All right, Chris, a fun story to wrap up here, our Monday show. How about this? All the way out at Mount Everest, there is a guide out in, uh, that's Nepali. His name is Pasang Dawa, 46 years old. He is now guided to the top of Mount Everest for the 26th time in his life which ties the all-time <laughs> records. I didn't know they, were, they kept records in uh, Mount Everest climbing record books, but uh, he has climbed to the top of the list, at least a tie. And he's Pretty only 46, so I think, he think he's, he's going to break the record. Yeah, he's got some time. Uh, it'd be cool to do it once, to do it 26 times. I wonder if it's, it gets a little bit boring at that point. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I can't even imagine the toll that's taken on his body. 29,032 feet. That's way up there. What's the highest? Can, can you think of the highest peak that you've been to? Uh, so I wrote down Mount Rose, 10,778. I think a lot of people locally have climbed Mount Rose. I was in Switzerland in the Bernese Alps region, okay. and that peaks at 14,022 feet, but I don't think I climbed any of those mountains. So the one that I can say for sure would be Mount Rose, which is just shy of 11,000. So almost one-third the height of Mount Everest. All right, so I'm going to cheat a little bit in terms of I haven't climbed this mountain. Well, first, I guess the highest mountain I've been to in an athletic sense would be the top of Big Sky, which is like, I think, 11.5 11 okay. in Montana. Uh, but I've been to the top of Mauna Kea in the Big mm -hmm. Island of Hawaii. That's 13,803 feet. Okay. Fun fact about that, from the bottom of the seafloor to the top, it's actually higher than Mount Everest. Yeah. 33,000 feet. 
Dang. Is Mount is Monacea. That's nice. Compared to Everest, which is twenty nine thousand. But only the tops out of the water. Yes, exactly. All right, that's it for our show today. See you guys tomorrow.